before I get into preaching, I want to look at one scripture here, and this has nothing to do with the message, but uh, tomorrow is a very important day, um, because if we live in a country that gives us a freedom to vote, um, you should vote, and if you're over 18, uh, I'd encourage you, as a church, we will only encourage you ever to do two things. Number one is to vote, and number two is to pray. Uh, that is what we're called to do. We are called to uh, do and fulfill our civil responsibility, and then we are called as people of God to pray. And and if we don't know how to pray, because sometimes, not not anyone here, but I'm a Christian, is like, well, I know how I'm going to pray. It's like, no, 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 no. The Bible shows us how we should pray. And in First Timothy 2, it says this, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Everyone say all. And he says, pray this way. As you make your requests, plead for God's mercy and give thanks. But then he goes on to say this. So he says, when we're supposed to, uh, we're supposed to pray mercifully towards people for God to, to show himself to people in wisdom and mercy and, and, and with thanksgiving for all people. Then he goes, and then for rulers and kings and authorities. That's how you pray as well. So I would encourage you, we pray for all leaders, rulers, kings, and authorities for the mercy and wisdom of God. And we pray giving thanks because God has given us an opportunity as believers to shape our nation not only by the leadership that we have, but by the way we speak of and pray into our nation. So that's just a little encouragement for you. Uh, we will definitely see a move of God in our nation, I believe, as believers start praying the things of God over our nation and and praying for all people and loving them and walking that out. And so that's your responsibility. Now we're off that and we're going to go to our Bibles. Um, if you if you want to go home, if that was enough message for you this morning, you can, you can go for lunch now. Uh, if not, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Um, and we want to pick up our series, The Subtle Art of Living by Faith. And when we talk about faith, one thing that it's kind of hard to avoid because when you study the Bible and the scriptures and you deal with the subject of faith, there's a guy in the Bible that is really hard to avoid when you're talking about faith, and that's Abraham. Or before his name was changed, his name was Abram. And uh, it's because he is known as the father of faith and that relationship with God. And so we're going to talk about him this morning. And some of you might only know about Abraham or Abram from the song in Sunday school. You know, Father Abraham had many sons. You know, that's a lie. He had two sons. He had many descendants and, and a heritage. But it's like, that doesn't really work in a Sunday school, right? Song like Father Abraham had many descendants and generations and people who came after him. But like he legit only had two sons. And the, the reality of that is only because he was trying to walk out his faith and work out the promise of God in his life. And, and much like all of us, there is an art to living by faith. And Abram had to learn that as he walked with God through life. And so we're going to pick up the story of Abram in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. It says this, Then the Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. Just a side note here. God gives you influence and prominence in the earth only ever to be a blessing to other people. 
this is, this is how our God works. This is what he said to Abraham. I'm going to do all of this for you, but it's so you can be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham, Abram departed as the Lord has instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Young adults, if you're 75 living at home, it's time to leave your father and mother's house. I'm just kidding. Genesis chapter 15, we pick up the story a few years later. It says, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision, and he said to him, don't be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you. God comes to him at a later date, because a lot's gone on between chapters 12 and chapters 15. I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you, have a, you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. That's a very important phrase. God reminds us from time to time, I'm the one that brought you from where you were and into the things I've called you to, so keep going. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning that you are so good and you are so gracious. And that as we look at your word and, and, and we come week after week saying, God, what do you want to speak to us? I just pray that our hearts would be ready and our ears would be open. And God, that we would in some way, in some measure, get a little more focus and strength in following you as we leave this place this morning. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name, and everyone said, Amen. So Abram, he comes to a point in life where God says to him, okay, Abram, I want to do something in your life. I want to lead you somewhere. I want to show you a promise. I want to take you into a promised land. When we talked about Joseph, uh, not Joseph, Joshua a couple weeks ago, Joseph's part of this too, um, and you can read all about it in Genesis. When you talk about Joshua going into the promised land, and we talked about how they're getting right into the land promise. This was the land that was promised to them way back years earlier in the days of Abram. And he, he gets his promise of God, and he has to leave his father's household. And in Hebrew culture, you know, you built your life, your empire with the family. And he moves out of that to pursue what God has for him. And God says, I'm going to do something in you. I'm going to do something with your people. And I'm going to make you great. And I'm going to give you a place in the earth. And so he starts doing this. And it's funny how it just gets thrown in there. Like, well, you ever wonder why it says, well, and Lot went with him? Well, one member of his family that went with him, all it did was cause problems at a certain point. And, and, and there was a call of God to do something. But we have to understand that in our walk of faith and our following of Jesus, there are always going to be bumps in the road, relational issues. There are things that you have to walk through, things that you have to deal with. And, and we have to come to a place where we're going to follow Jesus or we're going to pursue the promise no matter what happens. And so Abram gets to this place where he's gone through a bunch of these things. He's still believing God. And then he's like, God, I don't even have a kid to carry on all of this stuff. 
When God says he'll make your descendants great and you are in your 90s and you have no children, you're kind of like, that promise seems a little bit far off. So Abraham's wife, Abram's wife, Sarai at the time, her name gets changed to Sarah. She gets this great idea because Abram, well, if God said this to you here, maybe you should marry my servant as well and have a child with her. Like, it's what they did in that day, but I don't know if having two wives was the right answer. You know, like, if you want to follow God and not have relational conflict and different things, like, I mean, probably wasn't the best decision at the time. And, and so they have this son, Ishmael, and God says, no, no, that's not even the son, I promise you. And later there would be an Isaac that came. But the long and short of it in this process and living by faith, Abram had to go and move towards a promise in his life, but he still faced things. He still dealt with all the things that we deal with on a certain level of life. And the subtle art of living by faith, we have to remember that it is a process. It requires steps in our life. And we can't get disillusioned or discouraged all the time when we don't see it happening immediately. You see, when we take the subtle steps of obedience and faith to the thing that God has called us to, it doesn't mean that we're exempt from all the stuff and all the ups and downs that we have to face. But keeping focus when we want to move forward with Jesus isn't always easy. Anybody here have a hard time keeping focus at times? I mean, I have friends that, um, we've, I think we all know someone like this. It's like, you go to the mall and... I'm like, what do you need? Oh, I just need some stuff. And they're like, well, let's go to this store and that store. And I'm like, do you realize that you're going from one end to the next to the next? And it's like, oh, I really want that right now. So then they go here, and then they go there. And then it's like, we could have done this more efficiently and just moved in a circle. Like, you know, you have friends like that. You go to the fair, and it's like, it seems exciting. Like, we're running back and forth. And I'm like, I want to go on that ride, and I want to go on that ride. And then I want to go here, and then I'm going to stand in line for an hour to get a funnel cake and all this stuff. And then it's like, at the end of the day, you're like, what did we accomplish for, like, $100? Like, we went on three rides and ate a bunch of junk food. And it's like, I, like I'm no fun because I'm the guy that's like, we could efficiently get the most out of our money by being here and doing things this way. And my wife's like, lighten up. <laughs> but sometimes I think in our, in our walk with Jesus, we kind of see him as that friend. It's like, Jesus, I'm following you, but you're kind of like got me here and there and everywhere. And all of these things are happening. It's like, do you know what you're doing? It's like, I, 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 I can tell you today, if you follow Jesus, it might feel like that, but Jesus knows what he's doing. Unlike the rest of us that are just trying to make things happen, the reality is, is that we have to be those that maintain or put our focus on the right things if we want to get to where God is leading us. Because very often when we feel discouraged, disillusioned, disheartened, insecure, whatever it is, it's because we don't have a direction that we're going with our faith. Maybe it's because we think that, well, if God really wants me to do something for him or get to a certain place in my relationship with him or my family or my friends or my neighbors, it'll just happen. The pastor will preach the right message. The right person will text me the right scripture on the right day. Or I'll get a prophetic word. Well, those things happen from time to time. But guess what? If you want to live a life of faith, not just have moments of faith, you're going to have to get a focus on the things that God wants you to do so you can move forward. I'm talking to you this morning about focused faith. What does it mean to have focused faith? 
See, I believe that our faith is formed or it fails based on what we focus on. Your faith and my faith will either be formed or fail depending on what you choose to focus on. And we all have that choice. And we have to understand that the decisions that we make are formative and they're leading us towards something. Or even by abdicating and not making a decision, we are actually making a decision. And then we wonder why we end up where we never wanted to be. And it's a failure to get a focus on where we want to go. And so focus is important. I remember when my brother and I were younger, um, we had these Baja mini bikes that we would drive around the acreage and we would race. And uh, my brother would always try to beat me, and I'm the firstborn and most beloved, so I always won, and I'm the best, and no. But one time he was actually winning, right? Like we're in this race, and he's winning, and he got distracted, and he lost focus, and he got more focused on wondering where I was rather than winning the race. So we'd go around my parents' yard, about five acres, and you would come up uh, over the driveway and then down the other side of the ditch and come back around the shop and that's kind of where it would end and as he was getting ready to come up and come down he was wondering where I was so as he came up the one side of the ditch he's looking for me and he turned and hit exactly where the culvert was and did about four flips end over end smashed his face on the handlebars and all of a sudden our focus was not on winning a race it was on getting to the hospital and sometimes in life we find ourselves bruised broken beat up and, and, and it's not because God did that to us, and it's not even because we intended it at times. It's because we haven't had a focus of where we want to get with certain areas of our life. And, and so we need to be those that, when it comes to our faith, understand that it takes focus. You see, riding a bike, a pedal bike, how many people know how to ride a pedal bike? If you don't, there's no shame in Jesus' name. Maybe we'll teach you. We'll, we'll have a class. At the church on the West End, they have motorcycle course that happens in the parking lot. My wife's informed me that I will not be taking that. So maybe I will start a pedal bike course, and uh, I'll teach kids how to ride their pedal bikes. Um, well, all the other guys are riding motorbikes. But when you ride a pedal bike or a motorbike, it's funny watching my boys learn how to ride the, the mini dirt bikes um, like we had. Because I watch my nine-year-old, and he's like this, like everywhere and this and that. But my wife freaks out, but it's actually a good thing because I said to her, I'm like, if he learns how to maneuver and go side to side when he has to get around things, he has to learn that he has to flow and go with the bumps and the terrain and, and be able to move. Because if you are dead stiff when you're riding a motorcycle or a pedal bike, the minute you hit something and you just tried to hold, have you ever done that, tried to ride your bike and just hold dead stiff and straight? You don't go straight. Because your body leans, other factors. So you actually have to learn to move and flow with what you're facing. You have to learn to adjust when there's a bump in the road or where you have to make a turn. Part of riding that is having a focus that says, my focus is on something, but I will make allowance and movement for the bumps and ups and downs that I'm going to face. And when you ride a pedal bike, if you look straight at your tire or at your feet, it's always going to end badly. But sometimes I think in our faith, we're like, God, I'm so focused on now and this situation and what I'm in, we forget to focus on where he's leading us. And so the bumps, the falls, the scrapes, all the things that we're facing in life, yes, they're real, but sometimes it doesn't mean that when we follow Jesus that we're avoiding all of those things, but he gives us guidance on how to maneuver them. 
And so when we have a focused faith, we can look at all the things around us and we can look down at our circumstance and wish that life was different. But if we're going to follow Jesus, we got to stop wishing that life was different all the time. And we have to learn to say, Jesus, help me make adjustments and follow you in faith and keep moving toward the thing you've called me to because that's what we've decided to do. And I'm focusing on going to where you're taking me. You see, I want to tell you this morning, I want you to know this morning that a perfect life does not lead to a life of faith. Focusing on Jesus does. Having a perfect situation in your marriage or your family or your finances does not lead to a life of faith. On the contrary, it'll probably lead you into a self-assurance that could make your fall that much greater. Focusing on Jesus leads to a life of faith. And I believe that this morning God wants us to understand. I want you to know two things that we can focus on so we can have a focused faith. You with me this morning? You're focused. You're dialed in. Not asleep. Okay. If we're going to have a focused faith, I believe that we need to choose to focus on the promise. It's a choice to focus on the promise. God has given us a promise that we need to focus on. You see, Romans 4, it talks about Abram again, but they're calling him Abram, Abraham at this time. It says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at 100, everyone say 100, years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Now, how many of these people, how many people in this room would say, if you were 100 and your wife is 90, your body for reproduction and her womb are probably not at the place you want them to be to start a family? Come on, in Jesus' name. It's just not really how it's supposed to work. But it says, Abraham, even when there was no reason to hope, he kept hoping believing that God could do what he said. You see, Abram had to choose to focus on the promise. The promise was that God would make him a great nation, that God would give him descendants. But the other thing that we need to remember and understand in their culture and in their life and in their history is that God was promising a way back to himself. And the promise was actually more about Jesus than it was just about Abraham having a son. See, God is committed to his promise. Jesus would have never came through the line of Abraham without Abraham believing the promise. And it took God to be committed to that promise just as much as Abraham was committed to the promise of God. It says that Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise, Romans 4 verse 20. In fact, his faith grew stronger and this brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. I think that Abraham didn't feel like he was a great man of faith. He just said, if God promised it, I have to choose to believe it. And that subtle act of obedience to believe the promise of God was counted to him as faith. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded. That's why it's written down. That's why we have these stories. For our benefit too. Assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. 
The one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, he was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. See, this promise is all of a sudden not about property anymore. It's about Jesus. And if we are going to have a focused faith, church, our focus needs to be on Jesus as the promise. You see, the promise of Jesus, it's now, but it's not yet. See, for some of us, we've had faith to believe that Jesus could come, receive us, die on the cross for our sins, and we can spend eternity with him. But we have a hard time believing that he could work out the situation that we're facing at home right now, the situation that we're facing at work. And our faith, instead of being strengthened day by day, can be weakened because we're focusing on everything around us rather than focusing on the promise of Jesus. Who said he would be there with us. He wouldn't leave us. He wouldn't forsake us. He never said we wouldn't go through anything. And it's so easy though. To focus on what isn't happening. My finances aren't coming together. God isn't opening the door. My spouse isn't. My kids aren't. I don't know if I can. Right, And so what we start doing in our humanness, in our humanity, we just start saying, well, God, I, I believe that you want to take me somewhere, but, you know, maybe you're in a place and you just said, well, I just still have so much sin that I haven't dealt with in my life, and so I'm disqualified from the promise of God. Or maybe we just start saying things like, I can't. That's for somebody else. Or we hear the voice that inside that says, You'll never be good enough. And then all of a sudden we start fearing or get insecure and we have anxiety. And I could write over and over and over on this thing. The reasons why we have a hard time focusing on the promise of Jesus. Because our human nature and our natural bent is to focus on the things in our mind and our heart that plague us day in and day out of who we're not, of what we're not, of how we can't or how we won't. But focused faith chooses to believe the promise of Jesus. And so Abram, even when there was no reason for hope, he says, well, then I'm going to put my hope in God. I'm going to believe that God can do what he says he can do. And what it does is it leads us to the second thing is this focused faith doesn't only lead us to choose to believe the promise of God. It focused faith leans, leans into the faithfulness of God. See, sometimes when we see the promise, the promise is good. The promise is true, and yet we still fight our human emotions, and we still fight our human nature. And what we forget is the promise of God did not come without the faithfulness of God. And so when God said to Abram, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to make you a mighty nation, I'm going to bring you back to me, and he sends Jesus, we have to understand that in our lives... Part of that promise for us is that now even though we have sin, we have insecurities, we have shortcomings, the faithfulness of God says, yeah, yeah, I see all that too, but guess what? I'm sending you Jesus. I'm sending you a promise of one who would cover all of those things. You see, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that we were utterly helpless. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and he died for us. As sinners, God showed his great love for us 
by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. In one of the passages we read, when Abram started facing all the struggle in his life and God comes back to him to remind him of the promise, he says, remember that I am the Lord who brought you out. And see, it's by the promise of Jesus, it's by the blood of Jesus, he says, I've brought you out of your sin. I've brought you out of darkness. I paid the price so you don't have to be covered by insecurity or anxiety or fear or the voices that say you'll never be good enough. I've come to a place where the blood of Jesus was shed and he died for me and God comes to you and he says this morning, the promise is less about what you're going to get out of this life and it's more about Jesus than you'll ever know. And it's about the fact that you can come to a Savior that says, I know you've been insecure. I know you have sin in your life. I know you have shortcomings. But guess what? I sent my son perfect, sinless, without blemish, and he took your place. So when the enemy, when your own emotions start telling you you can't, God says, by the blood of Jesus, you can and I will cover you. So my promise didn't come without my faithfulness towards you. God didn't make a promise in the Old Testament calling us back to himself and saying, now work it out on your own. He says, no, I'm going to send Jesus and I'm going to give you a picture of my faithfulness. For some of us here this morning, our focused faith needs to get back to the place where we believe we can do the things that God's called us to is because the blood of Jesus is enough. It doesn't mean we're perfect and it doesn't mean we do everything right, but what it does is it reminds us that God started a work a long time ago with a guy named Abram and then he sent his son Jesus and that's why we can read scriptures in the New Testament like this that says, God is the one who began his good work in you and I'm certain that he won't stop before it's complete. See, the promise is now because Jesus has come. He shed his blood. He died to cover all of those things for you. But it's also not yet because he's coming back. He's coming back to an alignment and to a place where we will see the fulfillment of the promise in our relationship with Jesus. But in the meantime, we still have to live a life of faith. We have to focus on Jesus. And there's bumps in the road and there's turns that have to be taken. And there's things that we still have to walk through. But it doesn't matter. Because sometimes the things that we see, even our own failures, as something that would disqualify us, God says, I can work that and I can weave that and I can make something beautiful of it. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says in the Passion Translation, we have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us, for we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Poetry, works of art, the weaver's loom, all of these things, they take the dark strands with the light strands and the bright color and they weave them together and they become something that you can't see in the beginning or when they're by themselves, but they make something beautiful and purposeful. And this is what God does for you and me. See, Abram, we're like, well, Abram was a pretty righteous guy. Well, yeah, he was, but guess what? At one point, he told the king of Egypt that his wife was his sister because he was so afraid that they would kill him so they could marry her. All the ladies are like, well, I don't need a man of God like that. And so God says to Abram, like, why would you do that? 
I, I've given you a promise. I, I'm leading you somewhere. And, and because of your fear, you got so wrapped in making your own decisions. Abram, that was a miss. And he'd say, okay, God, I'm sorry. I'm sure time and time again in his life, God, remind me of the promise. Show me again that we're going to make it. See, God is faithful to his promise, but we also can lean into the faithfulness of God because not only, not only will he continue to cover us and lead us through all the things that we're going to go through in life, we have to understand that the faithfulness of God doesn't fail. He doesn't quit working on us. He doesn't drop us off to the side. He keeps calling us close. And what he starts doing, he says, if you would draw near to me and if you would do what I've asked you to do and would you would lean into my faithfulness, but God, I, I messed up and, and, and I know you covered me by the blood of Jesus, but I still make mistakes. And he says, yeah, but I'm going to put a grace on you. I'm going to put a, a strength in you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to start to pour the gold of who I am upon your life. And not only are we covered with the blood of Jesus, we, we now start walking into a relationship with God where he starts working things together for his good and his purpose and he starts putting his presence and his power and his goodness upon us. And what he starts to do to the world around us is he starts to reflect who he is to other people, not just who we are. And so the grace of Jesus covers us see some of you here this morning you just need to hear that we talked about the Ark of the Covenant last week where it was wood overlaid with gold sprinkled with the blood and that was the picture of who God is that's you and me though we're, we're skin and bone we're that frailty we're that sin nature but yet God puts the blood of Jesus over our lives and because of the blood of Jesus we can be accepted by him we have relationship with him we're loved by him and he starts making us a new creation you see you're not just someone who was bad and now tries to be good the Bible says no you're a new creation created for good works you have the grace of God on your life you have the leading of Jesus in your life and when you focus on the promise of Jesus, when you focus on the faithfulness of God, you start to walk out your life saying, I don't have to define myself by those things anymore. I can live as a man or woman of God. And people start seeing the work of God on your life, not just your humanness. We want to be a people that can trust the faithfulness of God. 1 Corinthians 1 9 says this Count on this, God is faithful. And in his faithfulness, he called you to an intimate relationship with his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 13 says this. It's one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible. But even if we are faithless, he will still be full of faith for he never wavers. I want to say never. He never wavers in his faithfulness towards us. This is who God is. I can stand up here week after week and I can tell you that God is so madly in love with you and wants a relationship with you. Not because I even believe it every single moment of every day in my life because my own feelings and emotions will deceive me at times and the enemy will try to attack me and put thoughts into my heart and into my mind that are not from God telling me I'll never be enough, telling me that you have to be afraid of this or this or that or whatever it is for you. But I know I know 
that God is so committed to being faithful to his promise that we can trust in it. We can focus our eyes on it. We can lean into his faithfulness, and that can be the thing that carries us through. 